0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. So we're going to be back in the Lord's Prayer, everybody. This is part two of our study uh, in the Lord's Prayer within the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew 6. Most of us have it memorized. Just like last week, we're going to begin our time together. Actually pray this prayer together out loud, boldly. Because when we proclaim the same truth, we give common language, we can leave this place and proclaim the same truths, the same gospel to our community. So uh, would you, we're going to have it on the screen, would you join me in praying uh, the Lord's prayer together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So last week we looked at the truths in this prayer that God is personal, God is holy, and God is sovereign. God is personal, God is holy, God is sovereign. As his children and him as our father. He has adopted us into his family, grafted us into the body, the global, the body of Christ. And that is a privilege that you and I get to uh, participate in, that we get to um, um, practice every day, that we get to grow in our faith while pursuing Christ. So that's what we kind of talked about last week, father in heaven but also God is holy and God is sovereign. Let's not make the mistake of emphasizing so hard that God is personal, that God is relational, which is absolutely true, but God is also holy. And that should do nothing but show us how far Jesus was willing to go in order to secure for us salvation and to bring forgiveness for our sins. So Jesus humbled himself. So we see Jesus' humility here uh, just in these simple words in the Lord's Prayer. So today we're going to take a look at the second half, and it's going to progress our attention uh, from God's holiness and his sovereignty into actually praying for ourselves, praying for our needs. And God actually invites us to pray for those needs, to pray for ourselves. And then there are three things we're going to point out, that these are things that Jesus Promises to give us, um, and they happen to be alliterated for your uh, for your help. So the first thing Jesus says uh, in the second half: "Give us our daily bread." So Jesus here is saying that he ha- will provide. He's going. He is a God of provision. He's going to give us our daily needs and attend to our daily needs. So when we ask the question, praying for ourselves and me, that creates a little bit of attention. Tension, not attention. It creates tension in me because we just prayed this prayer of exalting God and humbling ourselves. Exalting God, humble ourselves, and we want to, you know, we want to break self-promotion in this prayer and praying like this. Break self-promotion, break um, self-isolation, and also infuse within us humility. That's what we're going to do in this prayer. But now Jesus is saying, "Okay, now you can pray that He'll give us." Our needs. Give us daily bread. It seems a little bit crass to me. Like, why why are we making this switch? So here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not telling us that we, you know, he's not promoting a prosperity gospel here. At Heritage Park, we do not teach a prosperity gospel that says, okay, if you want this thing or you want to do this thing, it is God's will for you to do that thing. It's your destiny. That's not taught in this building. It's not taught in our church family. Jesus is not saying that you have this need, you have this desire or this want, then you can have that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, The phrase is daily bread. Daily bread. We're talking about sustenance. We are talking about basic needs. So last week we touched on Psalm 37, 4, which says, delight yourself from the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In the Lord is the key to that verse. In the Lord. This is the kind of transformation that Jesus brings when we are delighting in his plan, delighting in his will. And it is a joy to participate in that kingdom. I don't know if you've ever been a spot in your life where you know I am I'm absolutely doing what Jesus has called me to do. I think a lot of times in our life we're like, man, I just want to get to what Jesus is calling me to do. To know that you are in God's plan is a complete joy. It is something that you can delight in uh, easily. It brings you joy every single day. So that's the kind of transformation that Jesus brings when we are in his will. And it is a delight to participate. But when we are in his will, that verse is saying that our desires become secondary to his desires. Our will becomes secondary to his will. This is what humbling ourselves and saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what we're saying and that's what we're praying. It's actually a dangerous thing to pray. It's dangerous because we're saying, Lord, Whatever I can do in my life, whatever you can do is better. Whatever you're going to use me for is better than anything I could ever dream of. So we all have needs. We all have desires. And those are real things. They're things that we have in our lives. Which of those wants and which of those desires serve the purpose of sustenance and which of them serve the purpose of pride and pleasure? Where are they placed in your life? If there's something in your life that you have carefully placed in such a way or made time for, crafted the time out of your day so that it can distract you from God's plan or so that it can distract you from the responsibilities that you have in your life. I'm not saying that that is a sin. It's not a sin to have that thing. It's not a sin to have nice things. But what happens is we can start on a road towards idolatry. Start on a roll on a road towards replacing God, because we don't trust Him enough. We don't trust God to provide for our needs, so I'm going to try and do it myself. And what that creates is this cycle, a never-ending cycle of want desire. Needs met, and then I need more. Needs met, and then I need more. That's what happens when we try to um, replace God, replace the kind of provision that God can give us. Yesterday, if you were at uh, the funeral for James, it was a sweet time together, and our pastor, he read Psalm 33, verse 18 through 19. He said, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. The eyes of the Lord are on those for, who fear him. Not only are the eyes of God on you, not only do they see you, he's saying he promises that they are looking after you. God is not passive. He is present. He is a present, present father. That's what makes him the perfect father, right? He promises that he will care for us. So in Matthew 10 and then then in Matthew 18, Jesus is going to once again remind us, and we'll touch on Matthew 18 here in a bit, that God, in Matthew 10, he provides for the birds of the air. So how much more do you think he's going to provide for you? Do you know that you are valuable to God today? Do you know that and do you believe that? Understand that you have such a high status between, but before the God of the universe who sent his own son to forgive you of your sins and to give you new life. Do you believe that today? That's the great lengths that God was willing to go in order to bring you salvation and welcome you into his family because we are so valuable to him. And it's a promise. The saying is daily bread. It's not weekly bread. It's not yearly bread. Jesus is not telling us to pray that our lives would be made simple forever. He's not saying that life is going to be a cakewalk if you uh, start a relationship with me. In some ways, it will be the very opposite. So it's a dangerous thing to pray here. But Jesus tells us to pray it. Uh, And he promises to supply our needs and to supply those needs so that we can live a life of glorifying Him. That's why He blesses us with things. That's why He blesses us with time. That's why He blesses us with family, to glorify with Him. And this doesn't dismiss us uh, from planning. It doesn't dismiss us from responsibility. Uh, It doesn't free us to recklessness because it's okay because God's got me. What it does is it puts things in perspective for us so that we can be good stewards, with what, G- with what he has provided for us and to be thankful with what he has provided for us because that's what it is about. When God gives us, when he provides for us, when he takes care of us, it is so that we can respond in worship and respond with um, following the plan that he has set before us. So Jesus says next, he says to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The next thing after provision that Jesus provides for us is peace. He provides peace between us, between us and God, and also between the people around us, between your coworkers, your family members, your neighbors, everybody around you. Jesus can create peace. Jesus in the New Testament says a lot about forgiveness a lot about it. In Matthew 18, he spends this whole chapter explaining, this is how church, this is how you are to relate to one another. He talks about conflict. He talks about the parable of the unforgiving servant. Um, But he begins that chapter by saying, let the little children come to me. And the disciples are like, you're too busy for kids. Like, shoo them, shoo them away. No. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Jesus loves children. And he's saying, hey, have a childlike faith. Not a child faith, a childlike faith. One that pursues me and one that surrenders and just completely trusts me. Jesus is okay with a childlike faith. But he knows, just like our preschool down the hall, when you put a bunch of infants together, s- things can happen, right? <laughs> I have two brothers. Things can happen. Uh, I have put many holes in walls or my brother as a result of me. Um, that has happened a lot. Little kids, they can get a little crazy. They can bite each other, throw things at each other. That's what happens when you put them in a, in a close space. Jesus knows that when you get a bunch of babies in Christ, a bunch of baby Christians in the same spot, he knows that we can hurt each other. He's not ignorant to that. So that's why he teaches on forgiveness at the end of this chapter, because he knows that we might need to be really good at receiving forgiveness and really good at giving forgiveness as well. Uh, to our neighbors. So he has very much to say about forgiveness. I hope that it is true for you that you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to forgive you of your uh, trespasses against him. I hope that is true for you today. If it is not true, that is completely and totally available to you right now in this moment. And this is the kind of forgiveness that you do not have to pay Jesus back for it. You never could anyway. You do not owe Jesus when he forgives you of your sin. It is a wiped clean slate. And it frees you just to follow him and pursue him. So Jesus, he's not up there keeping tabs. God doesn't have a checkbook of grace that he has to balance. He doesn't have like an Excel budget with your name on it that says, well, I don't know, last week I I lost a lot there. No. Like God's grace is limitless. His mercy has a no, and his forgiveness is limitless. His forgiveness is limitless. And praise God for that. This is what separates following Jesus from every other worldview and from every other world religion that you can encounter today. Because they have teachers that stand up and say, okay, I've been enlightened, so listen to me. Uh, Here's what you can do. Here's what you can say. Here's what you can eat and drink, study, move to this place, go to this place for a certain amount of time, whatever it may be. Say this, recite this, do all these things, and maybe you can have a chance at stepping into little g, God's presence, or into whatever version of the afterlife is. That's what the other worldviews, other religions say. You try and you try and you perform and you perform and maybe you can be accepted. The great, great news of the gospel is that we have a teacher who, one, teaches us lessons and he can fulfill them and he can follow them himself. But also he teaches us, in this example, he teaches us to forgive Ask God for forgiveness, but then the very one who tells us ask God for forgiveness is going to be the one who delivers that forgiveness to you. Jesus, he not only teaches you, he provides for you. He delivers you and he rescues you. Rescues you from condemnation. That's what Jesus does. And then he transforms you in the process. So, like I said, I pray that you have confessed your sin and received the forgiveness that Jesus can bring. But I also hope that it, that first time was not the last time. Con- following Jesus, pursuing after Christ as a daily, daily devotion means that I acknowledge, Lord, that I'm not perfect and that I continue to sin. Would you forgive me of that sin? Jesus is telling us, remember, when we pray, not the first time or the last time you pray, the every time you pray, acknowledge that I need God and that he has forgiven me or would you forgive me of my sins? That's, that's what it takes to follow Jesus every single day. Ask God for forgiveness. But then he says something that's very difficult. I think that in some ways it might be more difficult because if God's grace, if God's forgiveness is limitless, the next question we need to ask is, is yours? Is your forgiveness limitless? To the person who has wronged you over and over and over again, continuously, it seems like it never ends, is your forgiveness limitless to that person? Does it have an end? Does it have a stopping point? Have you ever held a grudge? Have you ever harbored bitterness? Have you ever held on to anger towards somebody because they wronged you in some kind of way? You are not alone in that, in this room. You are not alone uh, with that answer, which I'm sure is yes for you. You are not alone in that. This is why Jesus tells us to pray for difficult things. But in this prayer, in the whole prayer, our Father in heaven down to uh, deliver us from evil, Jesus is saying that we need to become humble people. When we chase after Jesus, uh, exalt God and humble yourself break self-reliance, break self-promotion, be humble. This is what happens when we pray in this way. This is what happens when we live our life this way. We become humble people. But at the very core of withholding forgiveness from somebody is pride. It is this idea that I have the moral high ground over this person. I have the just cause. I have the correct reason. I have a reason to be angry. And that may be true in your situation. It may be but Jesus is calling us to the very difficult thing of humbling self. Humbling ourselves to the point of forgiving and not keeping track of that forgiveness. So in Matthew 18, when Jesus was teaching about this, how to interact with one another, he knew that we're imperfect people. He knew that we're going to be baby Christians and we're going to hurt one another. So he tells the parable of the unforgiving servant which is the story of a servant who is forgiven of an unpayable debt and then he goes and decides to act somebody who owes him a very small amount of money and, and, and he can't pay. So he throws him in prison until he can pay the debt, which is a lifelong, that's a, that's a life sentence. You can't work off a debt while you're in prison. So it's this idea that if forgiveness has been shown to you, Why wouldn't you show forgiveness to somebody else? And then Jesus finished this, and and, and Peter says, Okay, Jesus, don't we love Peter? Um, He says, uh, let's just get practical for one second. How many times should I forgive? And then he gives a really high and impressive number. How about seven? That was seven. Yeah, that was seven. And uh, he says... How about seven? And Jesus is like, you know, seven's a nice whole, round, not round, but in Scripture, it's a very significant whole number. So Peter says seven, and Jesus says, how about 77? Take the number that you thought was really high and overachieving and multiply it by 11. Jesus is saying, don't even keep track. Don't even keep track of how many times you forgive the people who have wronged you. Your forgiveness should be completely limitless. Forgiveness should be limitless. So do you possess the moral high ground in a situation, in a conflict in your life today? And like I said, that may be real. You may have that reason. Have the moral high ground. Jesus is calling us to the difficult thing of forgiving that that person, even if they don't uh, don't deserve that forgiveness. That's what he is calling us to. If you think about uh, this, if, if we are saying... That, God, I know how you are going to act towards me. I know that you are going to forgive me of my sins when I ask for it. But then we turn around and say, but I'm not going to forgive this person. I'm going to hold on to that anger. How? How can we ask God to forgive us our sins and then turn around and not give it ourselves? How can we do that? And say that we are following and trying to become more Christ-like. At the very core of what Jesus has done for you, he has forgiven you of your sins and cleansed you of your unrighteousness. If forgiveness has been extended to you, then it should be extended to other people. If you have experienced the forgiveness of God, then you are to uh, extend that forgiveness to the world around you. So forgiving the one who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. God has set the standard. He has set the standard for forgiveness through Jesus, what he did on the cross. It is humbling. It is a sacrifice. And that's what it should be for us. It is humble and it is sacrifice. Because what it means is when we relinquish a a grudge when we get rid of uh, the anger that we're holding on, it means that we're not going to get to see this person uh, experience the pain that they caused me. We're not going to get to see the revenge because that's what it is. We don't get to see them experience the pain that they caused uh, to me. That's the humbling thing, and that's what makes this so difficult. It's the unfairness, which is the scandal of the gospel. It is absolutely not fair what Jesus has done for us on our behalf, because what we have done against Jesus was a death sentence. I can make a list of every wrong that has ever been done against me. My whole life, like I said, I have two brothers. One of them is my age, so we we spent much time together. Um, uh, I can make a long list of the wrongs and the sins that have been done against me. Listen, that list of wrongs against me, it would not even compare in size to the list that Jesus could have against me. But Jesus doesn't keep that record. He completely forgets it throws it out the window. He has forgiven me of all those sins. Jesus has forgiven a far greater debt than I could ever forgive, than I could ever even have against me. Jesus has forgiven me of that. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing to participate in the forgiveness of Jesus. So this is difficult stuff. To forgive is hard. That's why Jesus instructs us to pray. If it were easy, Jesus wouldn't say, pray, pray in this way. He wouldn't. He wouldn't instruct us to pray. Uh, if it was easy. But when we pray what we can, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. When we pray what we can, when we just pray what we got, Jesus can strengthen and empower us to do what we cannot. That's the kind of power that Jesus can give us. So that's going to take us into the last thing. Jesus, he provides for us provision. He brings us peace and he gives us protection. Jesus can protect us. He says, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The, the word temptation and trial in the New Testament are actually the same word. Not only are they the same word, they have very similar experiences. Because a temptation, right, is an opportunity that I don't trust God. I'm gonna, I have to do this thing. I have to go get this thing in order uh, to satisfy myself. While a trial... It's just giving us con- uh, opportunities to, to do that again. To uh, say, God, I don't trust you. God, I don't trust you. I've got to take care of this myself. So Jesus says, pray against that. Pray against temptations. Pray against trials. Uh, because there are opportunities for us um, to lose sight of what God is trying to call us to. To lose sight of, of um, the great plan that he has for us. It's easier to see evil. Um, especially when God is nowhere in sight. It's like God becomes eclipsed by the things that entangle us. But as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, a petition, a plea, a prayer for God to protect you is all that we can do because the battle against sin that we have is a battle. It is a war. And if we don't treat it as a war, if we don't treat it as a battle, we're playing a dangerous game with sin. It's like playing with Fire! It's a dangerous game to to mess around with sin and to mess around with the enemy. So he's saying the last thing in the prayer: invite God into that, invite God into that war. I'll let you in on a, a little secret. When it comes to your spiritual warfare, when it comes to the battle of sin in your life, that's not going to be won. Most likely, that's not going to be won right here within in the pulpit in the sanctuary. Spiritual battles are won on our knees before God alone, pleading with God to deliver us from that evil. That's where the real spiritual victories come from. When we exalt God and humble ourselves and acknowledge that I cannot do this alone, I cannot fight this sin battle alone. We are way over ahead if we think we can outsmart the enemy, if we think we can just uh, muscle through this temptation that has had its grip on you for years and years and years or through this grudge that you cannot seem uh, to rid yourself of. We cannot do this alone. We need his help and we need his protection. Church family, we need God. And that's something I see in this whole prayer is the truth that we just need God and we need his help. Do not try to walk through this life on your own. When God has extended his hand to you as his child, he wants to adopt you. He wants to accept you into his family. And that's a beautiful thing. I pray that you are um, a part of that in pursuing Christ. But He's teaching us how to pray. So this is kind of where I want to leave us this morning. Uh, We'll jump back into, uh, and we're going to sing together here in a minute as the worship band comes back up. But I want to just leave us here with this question or, or a set of questions. Jesus says that he'll provide for us our needs. He'll give us provision. He will give us peace. Peace is peace in our relationships. And with our coworkers, our families, our, our neighbors, whatever it may be, and that he will uh, protect us. So what do you need most from God today? Do you need his peace? Do you need him to flood into a relationship, a conflict that you have, that you've been holding on to for so long that now if you brought it up, it would just be too awkward? Do you need him to flood into that situation and bring peace, bring forgiveness Do you need his protection? Has there been a temptation or a sin that just, it's just had its grip on you for far, far too long? And you've realized, I can't win that battle on my own. I just can't. Ask God to come in. Ask God to help you. He will hear you. Or do you need a, do you have a need? Obviously, we're not, like we said, we're not preaching a prosperity gospel. But God promises to care for his children. He's not going to let us uh, fall by the wayside. Jesus, he does, he's not passive. He sees you. He hears you. Ask God for your needs. Ask him for your daily bread, and he will hear. So what we're going to do, we're going to sing a hymn. It will be familiar. This is a hymn that boldly sets us at the feet of Jesus, saying, you can tell him your troubles. You can you can tell him your needs and he will hear you because that's what he does. That he, that's what he has promised as our father. So before we do that, just take a minute to reflect. What do you need most from God? Do you need his protection? Do you need his peace? And do you need provision?